0: Welcome to Discograffiti, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth. About the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. I'm your co-host Dave Gebro. I'm your co-host Joe Kennedy, and we're super psyched. We've done over thirty episodes now, isn't that right, Joe? That's right. And they've been straight gunning through every week, posting something willy-nilly, no matter what. I right? feel sort
1: of nostalgic for some of them at this point. We've
0: done so many. And yeah, so many memories. Yeah, I there's. A lot to love
1: In all seriousness There's a lot of these That um, you know I kind of feel like I benefited from Learning about a lot Of cool songs That I had always Overlooked Even by artists That I like You know Right All these months later After that episode Of The Monkees The two part thing On The Monkees That monkeys, one had a big Effect on you Yeah I like that one I, I really discovered So many um, songs I never really dive, dove Into their full length Records and um,
0: yeah. You know what was Cool for me um, You know I mean You know some of these the acts are so huge. Like for example, the BGs doing that triple parter was. But uh, that was, was only a, a double parter. That's right. It felt like a triple parter because they just sheer amount of work. But uh, you know. <clears throat> that was like the first of the bands that was like a very long descent into the sunset. Right, yeah, that was the Sorry, first one. right into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we, that's when we finally descended into the sun. <laughs>
0: that's right. But, uh, I, you know, one that was uh, particularly revelatory for me, uh, because I'd never heard anything post-debut, is The Raincoats.
1: Right, um, I right. had never heard Adi Shape. Right, that's another short one, but um, that was just lots like, to chew on. Whoa, but, you know, was that mind blowing? Yeah, that, yeah, that was that was, just that was crazy. A fun I mean, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, I I love doing Van Halen. Totally, I, I was so familiar with all those records, like the back so of So much hands. fun.
0: So that, and one. also trying to find ways of conveying just how shitty the Sammy Hagar <laughs> stuff is without saying the same things over and over. In- <laughs> Using a different kind of uh, music criticism, Sammy's shittiness—he
1: is, is such multi-dimensional shittiness.
0: <laughs> totally. Um, Sorry, Sammy. <laughs> anyway, it's been an amazing process of putting all this, uh, you know, all this stuff together. It is not content. Yeah, we're seeing the numbers grow. And we're starting to
1: see this thing kind of take off. So
0: it's, yeah, been, it's been what a, I mean by that is it's not content. This is this stuff composes our heart and soul. Right. It really means content in a
1: way. Your heart and soul has content.
0: It's content once it it reaches (laughs) you guys. All right, so anyway, um, back to business. First things first, you guys need to know just how seriously we take this craziness. Discograffiti is heavily researched, and the music is always reassessed with fresh ears. Truth. We're not just covering albums, though. Nope. We do a searingly honest, deep dive analysis of all EPs, singles, comp tracks, relevant solo work, and bootlegs. And then we rate all of them
1: shits from zero to five. That we do. Uh, So, you know, objectively accurate zero to five rating.
0: That we do. And that allows us all to come face to face with the true shape of an artist's overall arc. A thing to behold. Uh, This
1: week's episode of Discograffiti, we are turning the spray cans once again on the Velvet
0: Underground. Nobody gave a shit. Turned everybody gives the biggest shit ever. So we had... uh, Uh, An incredibly awesome conversation with Anthony Fantano from The Needle Drop, uh, which is in progress. And what we're going to do is return to the latter stage of The Velvet's career. So, uh, what is it, 1968 to 1973, or actually to present, we will be covering. Enjoy yourselves, and uh, we'll catch you on uh, on the other side of this thing. Here's that interview. After White Light... Landed with a thud. Uh, Tensions were growing. You can hear it in the music. Uh, The group was tired of receiving very little recognition for its work. And uh, Reed and Kale were pulling the VU in different directions. February 13th and 14th, 1968, um, we have some outtakes that were laying down. Uh, Basically, the finale of their relationship together, there were three... Uh, Pop like songs that were leaning it more in Reed's direction. Uh, that's Temptation Inside Your Heart, Stephanie Says, and Beginning to See the Light, and a viola driven drone that leaned in Kale's direction. And that's Hey, Mr. Rain. That came a little bit later. Uh, I'd like to count the, I'd like to posit that the last masterwork of the Lou Reed-John Cale nexus is the first version of Hey, Mr. Rain.
1: Yeah, this that's great. That is kind of a hint. I, I love tracks like this that are kind of a what could have been kind of, you know. Right. You can kind of imagine what that uh, third album would have been with Cale because it has sort of the sound of how they play on that record, but it's, it's obviously one of his kind of drony songs. It's so really it's,
0: cool. It has this sort of... Um, Cosmic yet feet planted on the ground, kind of a feel to it. Yeah, a lot of it's people don't know that song because it, yeah. it came out like you know it didn't come out at the time. And I've it, always loved it. So Lou Reed calls Morrison and Tucker to a meeting at the uh, Riviera Cafe in the West Village. Uh, doesn't tell Kale about this meeting, and tells him that Kale's out of the band. Uh, so Sterling pipes up and objects, and Lou says that either Kale's gone or the Velvets are done. So that's kind of the end of that. Phase two, pure pop for heavy heads. 1968 to 1970, before work on the third album started, John was replaced by Doug Yule of a Boston group called the Grass Menagerie. You see what they did there? Yeah, very clever. Um, So when they all met, uh, it became clear that uh, bass in Oregon was what he was going to be doing for the band, but he would also obviously wind up contributing in a major way to vocals. Yeah, he's a multi-instrumentalist too, so uh, he's kind of useful to have around. He was a good guy to have in the band for them. Yeah, He's like a a utility guy. uh, Just weeks after he joined, they started recording the third album. November and December of of nineteen sixty eight, the third album, the eponymously titled "The Velvet Underground," comes out. Uh, so that was I'm sorry, recorded November and December sixty eight. It came out in March sixty nine. I you know obviously you know, Doug Ewell is in the band and Kale is out,
1: and um, I think the band just kind of takes on more of a Lou centric personality. You know, with, with Kale missing, that's like a big personality and a big like creative force
0: kind of leaving. It's just a it's a very very strong record. I I think potentially it's the one I've listened to the most cuz it's so accessible and I'm generally always in the mood to hear this.
2: It's definitely their easiest, it's their easiest record to listen to. And and I actually fully agree with you, you know. I I even though it's not the most groundbreaking or experimental album they've put out, uh, it is the record that I do find myself kind of coming back the most to because it's just the simplest to listen to. It's the sweetest to listen to. At this point, you know they they almost become more of a singer songwriter band. Yeah, and the magic yeah. of the record is just based in not just loose songwriting but also just the softness with which they deliver it and that's kind of the other quality of this record that kind of stands out to me it's just very soft it yeah. very so It's very gentle it's like it's 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 just so the polar opposite of white white. white. <laughs> it's like lou <laughs> it's trying to
0: convince you he's an actual human being but we know good and <laughs> well right. it's, is it's not. just
2: so soft it's so gentle it's so smooth it is so nuanced and i mean i you know while it's easy to kind of look at all this stuff with like you know, hindsight and twenty twenty vision. Like you know, in, in retrospect, um, it, it certainly was something for them to go out on such a stripped back and such like a simple and beautiful limb after two very wild and chaotic and incredibly versatile and experimental records.
0: Their biographer Richie Unterberger, who's uh, who's a friend of mine, great guy. Um, he also made the, wrote this incredible book called Unknown Legends of Rock and Roll. He said it best, I think, having made perhaps the loudest album of all time, it's almost as if they've now decided to make the world's quietest LP.
2: Sure, sure. No, absolutely. And, and just like, you know, also take note of the emotional shift that happens on this record like you have the spirituality of Jesus yeah you have I'm set free that's almost like transcendental uh, oh, yeah, in totally, a way yeah. and, and, and not in the same way that like heroin is and like you know in, in a very different way um, you know that just like the sheer beauty of candy says and like I, I mean after yeah. hours is like legitimately the first Velvet underground song that I would say is like actually cute it's like a cute yeah. right. heartening little song <laughs> but like then cute, if you listen to song. the
0: lyrics again they're doing it because it's sure. about isolation yeah sure you know so it's sure. uh, you know again they're they're up to their old tricks. <clears throat> don't know if you guys are aware that all the songs on this album are in order and complement each other, so uh one leads into the other consciously. did you guys know that?
1: uh no, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a concept album in that way yeah
0: yeah, so um. <clears throat> this is from an interview that Lou Reed did. There were certain questions stated in the opening song, and then it was delineated, you know, through various phases. It ended with Jesus saying, Now help me do this, man. And then, after you went through it all from here to here, <clears throat> which is like what an ad- average person goes through, you're faced with like the murder mystery, which is a total reversal of everything oh, no. because you shouldn't be faced with that, but you were. That sounds like some shit he made up later when
1: he was on Speed or something. Maybe. Maybe. All right, so <laughs> I also love the sonics of this record. I didn't really get to chime in on that, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a very clean, warm sounding record. Um, the guitars are all really beautiful, kind of milky sounding. Yeah, all the,
2: all the all the clean and very naked electric guitars just sound great. And that's kind of the running really thing those. throughout
1: all the four canonical Velvet's albums is um, you know, Lou and Sterling's guitar playing. They're pretty clever the way they
0: play, the way they play off each other. They they arrange real neat little parts. You know why what goes on has that bag type uh, bagpipe style solo. He couldn't decide on which was the better solo, so he just left them in, all of them. Oh, wow. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah. Song number one Candy Says. Take it away, Anthony.
2: Um, this is one of my favorite Lou Reed songs lyrically, frankly. Um, you know, I, I love uh, what this song uh, it says about, uh, you know, sexual and, you know, a gender identity. Mm -hmm. Um, just out of curiosity,
0: what is your, do you like Warhol's factory and all the superstars or are you only peripherally interested in that world?
2: It's, it's something I'm only peripherally, peripherally like knowledgeable of. It's, it's not something I'm uninterested in per se, but like much of what I know about it is through like looking into what Lou was, was singing about, you know what I mean? Right.
0: So, so yeah. In, in mentioning that this is about Candy Darling who is a transgender actress who was in, you know, Lou knew, and also, you know, eventually wound up singing about in Walk on the Wild Side.
1: Right. Yeah. See, the factory scene kind of provided a lot of subject material um, for, for Lou. Um, in these years. Wherever that, you that, looked. Yeah, that that's a perfect example of one. I mean, just, again, a real pro-songwriter kind of song. If you sit down and figure that out on the piano, how the melody goes and stuff, it's really a really like well-written really, song. Very sturdy
0: like, melody. Very tender, emotional doo-wop type material. Right. And it's Doug Ewell singing. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and um, he he was super nervous singing it in the studio. So it has this very shaky kind of quality to the vocal, which just kind of makes it just even that much better. Maybe yeah. that much more vulnerable.
0: I'll tell you, man. Lou gave some major material to him. He didn't yeah. just give him throwaway stuff. Yeah, this was like you know, New Age, and uh, you know, Who Loves the Sun. I mean, some major songs. <clears throat> um, kind of a selfless asshole. <laughs> um, so, uh, what goes on? The only single released from the album, What Goes On, is as perfect as a song gets. It's kind of the uh, platonic ideal of what a song should be. What yeah, you guys say? I, mean, I love
1: it. I, this is another one where I love Moe's drumming on this. Um yeah, just yeah. with the two limbs, you're really going to kind of is rocking this one really great. It's just a good old-fashioned rock tune. Um again, like you know, the super it sounds like this kind of feels like uh the direction of going on Loaded. This sounds like this could right, have been on Loaded. Right. This is kind of kind of hints at that sort of future.
0: And that's a pimp decision to keep all your guitar solos in the mix cuz you're that <laughs> goddamn good. Um is this, uh, Anthony, is this your favorite iteration of the song, the studio version?
2: Um, you know, this one's fine. I, I think like lyrically, it's not my favorite on the record, but I think without it and without, um, you know, beginning to see the light, right. th- th- there wouldn't be too much in the way of like, you know, a, a bit a pulse on this record you yeah, know what i mean right. so it, like it, it does provide like some really necessary yeah, kind yeah. of groove and counterpoint to the general vibes and themes it goes of the to see LP. in the
0: tush to keep awake for jesus <laughs> right exactly
2: <laughs> which like you know stunningly beautiful moment though the guitars on that one are are it's especially really, uh, yeah. wonderful but um yeah you know, and and pale blue eyes as well you know it's it's really like moments like that where lou is just on his shit lyrically yeah you know look what goes on is fine but like pale blue eyes haunts me But wait! Before we get there, we
0: have some kind of love.
2: So no, no, and I'm not not skipping ahead. I'm just saying, like, I I guess, like, you know, as as far as like the moments of this record that stick with me the most, they they just always seem to be the softest. Yeah, the what I what I sort of see as like the most lyrically profound. You know what I mean? Uh I agree. It's the ones that I come back to
0: where Candy says, "Pale blue eyes and and Jesus," Uh, and often I'm set free. Um, mm. Those are all kind of standards. Those are all kind of like yeah. rock standards at this point. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, there's, I'll tell you, there's, there's almost no more of a genius line conceivably than I'm set free to find a new illusion. I mean, mm. talk about building up and then just like cutting your balls off. Uh, yeah. That's a pretty powerful couplet right there. Um, Some kind of love <clears throat> is sounds so cool. That it's almost impossible not to listen to it with those wraparound sunglasses on, with a with a, a jetan that's hanging off your lips.
1: <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> that's kind of a forgotten
0: one. Sometimes it's the it's
1: like it's sort of like the couchiest of the couch album songs. You know? Yeah, it, it, it embodies the sound of the record kind of more than any other song. It's not that maybe the strongest song. Yeah. but I think it kind of the feel of what this record feel. really is. It kind of really sums it up best, I think.
0: Yeah, and there's some uh, pretty salacious lyrical content in there. Yeah. Um yeah, this, but, this is
2: this is Louie his in his wordy mode, in his verbose, right, <laughs> bad boy right, mode. Right, Um
0: Then we have pale blue eyes, which is you know, a, it's a rare song. It's a it's a love song that foregrounds adultery, um, but it doesn't. There's nothing um, you know uh, untoward about it. it. It's it's less a song than really a, a religious experience. I, really, I mean, it 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 barely even counts as a song. There could be like a two-hour version of it I wouldn't even notice it's a very very powerful statement
2: yeah I mean even without it sort of going out of its way to be super experimental or psychedelic there is something about uh, the guitar interplay and the refrains that it it really does almost feel like a bit of a drone you know Uh, like like it could just kind of go on forever and you could just like vibe on that until eternity
0: yeah yeah and then um, and then and then Jesus, which is, you know, to go from Sister Ray to Jesus in several months uh, this is uh, this has always been one of my favorite songs. That of opening
1: figure is just the best. Yeah, like a little, bit, little bendy guitar, the bendy like right away, and then the, yeah, little, yeah. the little bass motif. Like the the way this, the way the song is arranged and the way they play it, it, just sucks you in right at the beginning. The bent um, note is gorgeous. Yeah, it's just beyond
0: perfect. Yeah, I mean one of, one of my favorite songs of ever. Right? So side one is, is side one is probably the stronger of the two sides, but it's still side two is great. Beginning to see the lights, what kicks us off into uh, into side two. Um, I also,
1: beginning to, beginning to see the light has the great refrain, um, How Does It Feel to Be Loved? Um, that really is such a powerful refrain. It really kind of like sets the whole song that came before it in a whole different light to me. Yeah. Um, I always love that line. And I was, the way, I was, rela- I was
0: related to it. The way he sings it is so almost yeah. uh, just, you know, beatifically excited. Mm-hmm. Um, you like that song, Anthony? It's not, it's not like one of their standout, you know, calling for attention to itself, but it's what's your, what's your thoughts on this one?
2: No, I think I think it starts off side two with a blast, you know. Again, again, I think it's uh, I think it's another moment where it, it's bringing some momentum to the table. Oh, well, I'm beginning to see the light. I mean, Lou's coming off like pretty bold on the mic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I I, th- I think and it's so got, simple uh, too. Yeah, it's it's simple. It's rock and it's straightforward. It's like right in his garage rock roots, essentially.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I'm set free. I'm set free is. Uh, Definitely one of my favorite songs of the years. It's just so beautiful. And that one lyric as well. uh, I saw a head laughing, rolling on the ground. Uh, Mm. I'm set free. It just always hit me in a very powerful way this one. There's another one I love
1: the sound of especially the drums it's you know Moe's playing it sounds like she's playing a bass drum with a mallet in her hand and then like some kind of like the snare sounds kind of like floppy not really tuned real well but it just it's the perfect sound for it. It's just, I, I, I love those drum sounds. I, I, this is, I love the sonics of this record. I think those, this is kind of underrated the uh, yeah how, how great this record
0: sounds. So um, this, this next one that's the story of my life is uh, inspired by a remark from Billy Name Billy uh, took the picture that's on the uh, the the cover, uh, I believe, of this one. But definitely uh, was a you know a hardcore denizen of the factory. lived there uh, in the silver factory. Uh, he's name checked in the song. It's a two minute song, very minimal, uh, but still a good tune. I'm a fan.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's a cute little track and like it it's got a unique groove to it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there, there's a, there's a I don't even know how to describe the the beat on this but it, like it adds to the quaintness of the song it is I'll quaint say. it's uh yeah.
0: like a rocking chair kind of a deal <laughs> yeah. right um, exactly There's the, something the next one not it. so much
2: not yeah. cute
0: <laughs> not rocking chair <laughs> so the this murder is mystery the, uh, this is a forever debate yeah, like yeah. does this belong on this fucking record or not yeah this is kind of the, right. la- the last of the sort of failed
1: creative writing experiment kind of right, songs right. um yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, this one's not
0: for me. <laughs> Look, I don't care yeah. what the concept of the record's supposed to be. I still have no idea what this is doing on this record, but it's a testament to Lose Genius that I can't imagine the record without it.
2: Yeah, you know, I, 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 I was very, not just like, you know, forgiving, but also just very much in support of, uh, you know, tracks like The Gift and Lady God- and Lady Godiva's Operation on White Light, White Heat. Yeah. But, yeah. Like in, in this context, I just feel like this track doesn't, necessarily compliment the the vibe of the record it's so, so fucking it is, long too
0: but you right. know I, I i gotta say i don't mind it but i just it's mainly because i can't imagine it it's like if you uh i'm used to it i'm used to it <laughs> yeah Precisely. it's it's
2: it's just it's it's in stone at this point it's the right man. right <laughs>
0: And then After Hours, which I discovered after really paying attention to the lyrics, would be a very apropos COVID song to soundtrack a bunch of footage to, (laughs) initial lockdown stuff. After Hours is great. You got Mo Tucker, so charming. Kind of like Invent Tweak or... Right. I mean, Beat beat Happening was born from this song. Yeah. yeah, Great closer. it, It is. So it's ridiculous now. We got three perfect albums in a row. This This one really is a five-star
1: record for me. Yeah, Um, it is. I didn't have to think long about this one. Five stars for me, too. I love this one a lot.
2: I'd Mm. probably give this one more of a four. You know, I'm Mm. going five, 4.5, and then a four. Right.
0: Okay, okay. So uh, VU spent a lot of 69 on the road in the U.S. and Canada and not making much headway commercially. So, um, you know, so they kept doing real extended improvs uh, in, in their live shows, um, but by this point, they were focusing on really tight live performances. And it's a really great thing that they kind of became a dead-like unit. They would encourage their fans to tape their shows, and uh, some of these recordings that came out wind up being, you know, first bootlegs. Um, and ordained live releases, uh, like bootleg series types. <clears throat> yeah, this period's pretty
1: well documented <clears throat> with um, live performances. You can hear a few iterations of this, a few different shows with this iteration of the band. The, you know, Lou, Sterling, Mo. Doug Ewell lineup. This was kind of a stable lineup for them for a little while. Um, it does. In retrospect, it seems like they only made the one record, but really they were kind of recording another one that never really saw the light of day until years later. Right, right. So, so it, was a, it was a more productive and, and, and stable lineup than it seems.
0: What wound up happening there? The backstory is this: so um, when the when Vu moved from Verve, uh, who'd released their first two albums, to the parent company MGM, they signed the two album deal. Um, so they released the third one in March '69. Later, the later in the year, uh, there was a management change, and MGM, uh, the new CEO Mike Kerb, was brought in to try to rescue the label, and decided to purge the record company of really, uh, you know, controversial acts. That courted any kind of drug attention. Hello, Velvet Underground. Uh, it seems, it and it seems like
1: not really a great fiscal move in like
0: 1969. We got to totally, get rid of all yeah. of these drug bands.
1: Yeah, yeah. We got to keep
0: the Perry Como inspired people. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, also, uh, so yeah, Velvet Underground became you know very specifically targeted, and the band had in the meantime recorded 14 tracks for possible release as their second MGM LP. So from May to October of 69, is the recording of the lost fourth album right? So Doug Ewell
1: uh, says that he has said in, in subsequent interviews, you know, since this was made, that you know that they, these are just demos and they weren't really making an album. But that doesn't seem right to me. These don't. I know what demos sound like. These don't <clears> sound <throat> like demos. This I, is a record. They I, 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 were making okay, a record. So
0: you have a conceptual argument. I have a lo- an argument based in logistics. Let me explain. Mm-hmm. I okay. know. Yeah,
1: you're right. This is. I know about this too. Yeah. You it was, know, but it, was, it? it was, was supposed to come out. Yeah.
0: No, it was given a number. Right. So uh how basically, however you believe these recordings fit into their canon, they were definitely intended for re for release and the proof is that MGM reserved the following catalog number s e four six four one which labels only use for official releases right. uh, so this is most of the material that makes up uh, v u. Uh, Which is considered rightly to be the great lost Velvet Underground record. Right, so most of this record
1: uh, just sat on the shelf. MGM shelved it, and then it didn't come out until the '80s
0: on on when it was called VU. The the way the the manifold ways in which this was released uh, definitely, uh, you know, begs talking about. There is an ultimate way to hear this, which is one of the additional discs in the uh the third album 45th anniversary box set right Right. yeah so these a lot of these recordings didn't come out until the
1: 80s and i guess they didn't have finished mixes of some of them and then even the ones they did they remixed so it has the 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 album v u and um just, are these some? Are these
0: on another view? VU VU well? Yeah. So there's, yeah.
1: there's two comps that came out.
0: So VU was released in February '85, and another view was released in September '86.
1: Yeah. So these have they they sound like they were mixed in the '80s. It, it has, it has yeah. a very '80s yeah. kind of sound grafted onto a '60s record, and I never liked the sound of that record. It always
0: really bothered me. Um, it, now, what what is cool is that you can. It's a beautiful right in the middle transition point between that sort of hushed majesty of the third record and the, you know, loaded with hits ideology. The fourth record, th- there is a very unique thrust to this record that belongs really unto itself.
1: Yeah, so th- when they fu- recently in 2014, they put out like you were saying before, that the the, uh, the box set or the the, the ish version of the right, uh, right. the third album, and they they went back and remixed things, but in like the, in a, with the '60s kind of spirit, so for right. some, so for some things they were able to find the original '60s mixes. And then it seems like for the 2014 mixes, they sort of matched the sound of the old mixes. Right, right. Instead of trying to make... I think in the, the, they were trying to make the Velvets like contemporary in the yes, 80s. Like yes. they were going to have... Like,
0: it was just... The look, idea at was like that the, time, the, we were just starved for VU material. Yeah, I, you weren't, I was. The label's like, we're going to sell a bunch of these. Yeah. you know, it, like, it, At least the songs are good. It yeah, was a great discovery. Yeah. Um, it, it,
1: by the way, for me, this is like a dream come true that this right. 2014 reissue came out and it completely brings the record to life in a whole, yeah. whole different way. These are the defense. Uh, versions of these mixes And you can make A whole album It is an album the, You know The the lost album You can sequence it However you
0: want there's, there's never been An official sequence of it But it does play Like an album There's Right you know, so, you know, the, I just want to talk mainly not about VU and Another View because those are worthless artifacts, only really worth mentioning. Yeah, so some of the
1: highlights of this, you this, know, I really believe Foggy Notion probably would have been the opener if they had sequenced yeah. this album in a great, like, chugga-chugga velvet. It, it feels record. like a more soulful What Goes On. Yeah. This, it's, is, this song just rips. It's the, this is one that really benefited from the new 2014 mix. <clears throat> uh, the, the version that came out in the 80s is really 80s reverb-drenched. So it's
0: actually not a new mix. It's the original nineteen sixty nine mix. Okay, well, whatever they put out in two thousand fourteen. Yeah, um, th- this is one of the few songs that actually yeah. retains the sixty nine. right. Mix. It kills
1: the eighty five mix exactly. Um, one of these days, that's another one that really benefits from it. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, that slide solo stomp section at the end is is a totally amazing. Yeah. Ret- I right, I really
1: about. like the Velvet's version of Andy's Chest. Um, yeah, especially for Moe's drumming. It's really like really kind of a
0: masterpiece of
1: minimalist drumming. Um,
0: yeah, it feels. Uh, a little bit ill-fitting, but only because the version on Transformers, just, it kind of nails it. Yeah.
1: And then, I mean, Ocean. Um, that, this is my favorite version of Ocean. This is song It would
0: have been, been one of the best songs on the album.
1: Yeah. it's a, I mean, it's a fully realized version of a really great yeah. song. Yeah. Um,
0: I uh, Can't Stand It, that's another Wait, one. Wait, what about Lisa Says? You blew right by that, that one. That one's cool. That's my least
1: favorite of the Says series. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Good. I mean,
0: it's a pretty straight-up, straightforward
1: addition to It's a, straight up, it's a typical Lou, Lou song about a lost soul of some sort. Yeah, um, yeah. We don't have to go through every single one on this. You can kind of check I them can't all out. I Can't mean, Stand It's Awesome. Well, I Can't Stand It's the, the one that probably sounded the worst with that 80s mix. That one sounded really rough. Yeah, yeah. The 80s lexicon reverb thing on it. But that's a really great rocker, and, and, and I think that's a pretty... pretty like, definitely would have made the record yeah, one, yeah. one of the better also, songs. Also,
0: we're going to have a real good time together. I mean, that, that could have been the first song. I mean, certainly uh, a perfect opening. Yeah, they played that a lot in their live sets at yeah, the time. Yeah, why wouldn't you? So, uh, and then
1: they did a version of Rock and Roll, um, which would end up on Loaded, of course, yeah, around the Yeah, and a much better
0: version. I mean, this one's sort of... Uh, it's not bad. It doesn't,
1: it doesn't match the Loaded it's version. It's definitely more demo-y. Yeah, but it's interesting um, to hear
0: them play it with Mo. And Right Into the sun's great. It's a great closer. Yeah, yeah, um, that's
1: a nice blown out kind of instrumental, floaty kind of thing. So yeah, the, the last album is a real album. I would. I, you it's know, a real album. Yeah, there's
0: no question. It's got to be seen as one of theirs. Uh, it's so incredibly unassuming, like a humble little 1950s inspired if rock you're and kind roll of band. Ser- like, and
1: like we said, if you're searching for it uh, in, on on one of the streaming services or something, right. it's it's uh, part of the. Uh, Forty third album, yeah, the forty yeah, third the the deluxe reissue of the third
0: album. Yeah, and you, you have to hear it like that. Yeah, that's so correct. this is it's really like um a, like a humble fifties inspired rock and roll band just playing its trade. This is back to the Pickwick style of writing. Right. Not sure how personal this all is for Lou, but uh, it, or even if it's just an exercising creative writing, but it's still wonderful. And even though. Uh, it's related in sound, spirit, and in aesthetic. It's just a hair below loaded for me. Still five stars, so we're splitting hairs here. Well, I, give it, it is, I give it four and a half. So. Do you really? Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, April through August of 1970, the group recorded uh, songs that would become Loaded. Uh, it was released November 1970, um, so it failed to chart, which is ridiculous well considering especially
1: the what their goal was their goal was to make more songs that are more commercial right and they right. kind of nailed the assignment it's a lot, lo- lot of these seem very commercial it's called loaded because yeah. it's supposed to be loaded, loaded with, with
0: hits, hits right. and it is right. yeah. except it wasn't <laughs> um it's the last album to feature reed uh, who left very shortly before it was released Right. Um, so so they had
1: switched labels. They're on Atlantic now. After the the uh, kind of fiasco of the unreleased fourth would be would have been fourth album, and um, so you know, there's kind of a new. I think Verve kind of just took them as a lost leader and didn't sweat what they were doing too much. But Atlantic tried to get some hits out of them. And I think it kind of influenced this record in a kind of a positive way, strangely, because I really mm-hmm. like the style of songwriting. This this record has so many hooks on it. This is a very like classic rock like hook kind of record, um, in a, in a really great way, I think.
0: I uh, okay, so we're going opinions up front, huh? I like your. I That's, like my it. For it. That's my I intro. That's my intro. I like it and I love it. That's my right, intro. to there. So <laughs> I'm going to give an intro. I feel like this album is a little bit overrated. And if you ask, and by the way, when I, and I just mean in comparison, kind of like Run, Run, Run. Like, These are all amazing records. Yeah, they're so. all amazing records. But to me, Loaded always left me a little bit cold. I'm not really talking as much Side One. Side One, I really love, except for Cool It Down, which is just pretty good. But the band don't feel uh, you know, incredibly close to this record either. You know, They feel like it was just uh, sort of tossed together. I just like the sound that they kind of inhabit. They're just a cool rock
1: band on this one. They're they're just kind of like, you know, Sweet Jane, Rock and Roll, Who Loves the... They just play these songs really well. And um, it's it's just a cool sound. It's it's this is uh, the record. obviously a bridge to Lou's solo career. Yeah. Um, it's it's sort of you know this happens a lot at the end of a run of a band where it sort of morphs into the solo project of the main writer, and that's happening a little bit here. But I, I really like the spirit of this record and the and the space they occupy
0: is sort of a classic rockish kind of band. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, it totally I it. sounds like I classic it. rock. Yeah. Um, Anthony, you've been sort of uh, getting very, very slowly, progressively colder toward the band, right? So how do you feel about
2: Loaded? Uh, I don't care too much for Loaded, honestly. I mean, I agree with a lot of your assessments so far. It is almost like a transitional moment, um, almost like in the same way that like the first New Order record sounds like what could have been a third Joy Division record. Mm-hmm, right, you know, right. Uh, and it's funny you bring that moved. up.
0: That, to me, yeah. is my sweet spot for them.
2: I yeah. like that transitional and, stuff the most. Yeah, um, but you know, this, this record, I mean, look, the last record, as I sort of said, uh, was very much more about Lou. And I feel like that's like even more so the case with this record. Uh, but, but with like a little bit of an ego trip thrown in as well, which like considering what the state of the band was at the time, what else could it have been? Right. Um, especially with the added pressure of like, Hey, we got to have hits on here. We got to have this. But the thing yeah. is like, you know, who loves the sun? I, I think it's a solid tune. But, like, is that what vocally and, like, emotionally I, I seek from Lou Reed? You know? Right, like, right. not necessarily, like... To me, Who Loves the Sun comes off ironic. You know, look, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Like, the, the record kind of wears itself out for me very quickly. Like, obviously, like, I have a lot of passion for yeah. a song like Sweet Jane. Obviously, a classic. Um, and rock and roll as well. Uh, you know, but the thing is, like, rock and roll to me is just, like, so... It, it's it's such a weird meta moment, like musically, uh, for The Velvet Underground and Lou and the band. And man, TV what and if, what of,
0: if that song sucked? That you can't fuck if you fuck up a song called rock and roll, you're a well, it's If
1: you think it's almost kind of quaint the way that like rock and roll as a concept used to sort of mean something, yeah. you know, it was sort yeah. of like a lifestyle that people could believe in. It was something yeah, bigger. It was than, a religion. It was like bigger than it was a genre a of music. Yeah. You know, it's, it it's, is a religion. I mean, look,
0: seems, look at us. Well, I don't know, look at it, us.
1: It seems to no longer really be a religion.
0: Well, it <laughs> is for me, I guess. Like, not at this point. No. The you thing know, of like I, I live for rock and roll. Nobody really says. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, I just want Anthony to know that you know. Couple nights, I'm waking up at three in the morning listening to 1973 era your life, Doug Yule Velvet Underground. Your life was changed by <laughs> rock and roll, baby. It really was changed by rock and roll, you know. We, you know, and that comes through here for me. There's also obviously a slick venality in a, consciously attempting to write a, an album that's going to be commercially successful, but mm-hmm. to me, there's a calling that's at play here that, um, you know, is. Uh, hard to not pick up on.
1: I think my favorite 15 seconds of recorded music possibly ever is the intro to Sweet Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's so beautiful that sparkling little guitar thing. It's like, how, how do they even do it? how what, is, what are instruments are playing there? How does it? Ma- how do they yeah, make that yeah. sound? And it's so fleeting. Sounds you, almost zithery. If, if right? they did it for like 45 seconds, it probably wouldn't be as good. But the, yeah. the, the fleetingness of it at 15 seconds, it's just like it. Just every time, it kills me. I love that intro.
0: So. Um, you know my favorite part of the record is "Who Loves the Sun," "Sweet Jane," "Rock and Roll." Those three songs, right in a row. That's the never the album never catches up to that sense of unbridled glee.
2: No, I I, I agree with that. I mean that's absolutely one hundred percent true. But like that's part of my issue with the record. I mean it's it's like it just kind of goes downhill from there. And it, you know the the album, I almost get sick of it by the time it's over. Truly and honestly, and it's it's not even like in concept that. I think like, obviously, I don't feel that Lou Reed uh, uh, was incapable of succeeding in this direction. I feel like he eventually did with like Transformer, you know, Mm -hmm. like I I feel like with his more solo stuff and with his more rock oriented stuff. And when he was really trying to like work your favorite, what's
0: your favorite Lou Reed solo record?
2: um, Either Transformer or Metal Machine Music. Say it. (laughs) Say the words. (laughs) A, a, again again a record that that you have to appreciate as like a really weird you know just just like an art piece you know what i mean i've listened um, to the whole
0: thing straight through I'm not <laughs> skipping through and there's a lot to be gleaned from it to be honest with you
2: but like Transformers, really sick berlin is great i'm also very partial to um the blue mask in the early 80s love like the i blue love mask. as yeah. As a bassist, I love the the fretless bass all over that record.
0: Women is one of my favorite songs by him. Yes.
2: Women. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I
0: love women. I think they're yeah.
2: great. <laughs> I, I right, right, right from the heart right yeah from, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, there's,
1: there's ten songs unloaded and I, I think the only one I
0: don't really like
1: is Train Around the Bend.
0: Train Around the Bend is nothing really to say about that. That's one. kind of the yeah. weakest one, but I like them. Mis- Lonesome I mean, Cowboy Bill is not amazing.
1: Said, Lonesome Cowboy Bill, couldn't you hear the Dead playing that? That sounds to
0: Dead. That sounds to me like a good Dead song. It sounds to me like a decent. Dead like they song. could have played the shit out of that. Um, also, cool it down. It's cool it down. Of I love. Favorites. That's one of my
1: favorites. Yeah, I just, those I just, three. Are I just, love uh, the
0: swing on cool it down. Cool those it down three are the only thing. three I don't really totally connect with. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's their worst album. If this is what a bad Vu album looks like, it's only because its brethren are so thematically unified. So, um, this is amazing. I disagree with not only one, but two people. Yeah, this but never I'm gonna, happens, I'm going
2: to give it four and three quarters stars. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I agree with what you're saying in terms of like, yes, this is the worst velvet underground record, but like, I, I feel like, you know, out, outside of squeeze, um, it, it didn't really have any choice other than to be that because over the course of the band sort of putting out more records and changing, like they were just kind of slowly being whittled away. You know what I mean? Um, in in some respects, it doesn't even feel quite like a Velvet Underground. Obviously, not so far gone as Squeeze was, right? right. Uh, but it just feels so far removed. It is watered uh, for, down
0: from original intent for sure. I yeah, mean,
2: for sure. And and I and I feel like you know a lot of what was happening here is just uh, essentially Lou Reed just working those muscle groups that he would eventually like to take off with in his solo career. Absolutely. And, you know, still with that being said, like there are great tracks on it. There are some highlights, uh, but just like as an overall experience, I I just get tired of it very quickly. Whereas like, honestly, like, uh, when I'm listening to sister Ray, I'm enjoying minute five as much as I am like minute 16. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yes. I agree. So
2: what's your star rating for this one, Anthony? I, I I'll be generous. I'll say three and a half. I'll be three and a half stars. I'm I, sure I think they a, appreciate it. Well, I think I'm, it's a decent record, but that's that's how I feel about it.
0: I'm a big fan of this one. I'm I'm giving this one five. And then there's the terrific package. Not that we need it now because the playlist really supersedes all this stuff. But fully loaded was released. It's a two CD reissue of Loaded. Came out in 1997. Uh, lots of alternate takes, alternate mixes, and demo versions. Of the loaded material without takes, including, uh, you know, I'm Sticking With You, uh, the demo of I Found a Reason, uh, the orchestral alternate take recording of Ocean, tons and tons of stuff. Yeah, there's, a, you know, the early version of Satellite of Love is cool. Right.
1: Um, you could, you know, s- Sad Song. He, that's not, these are ones that he kind of would kind of reuse later. You could see how he had the makings of, a, you know, or the beginnings of another cool velvet. Spoiler song.
0: alert, it really is a sad song. So in August of 1970, Live at Max's Kansas City was recorded. Let's talk about that a minute because it is very much of note uh, in the sense that uh, it was, first of all, recorded at uh, uh, 213 Park Avenue South in New York City. This was a big nightclub for them. And this was apparently the last time that Lou Reed played with the Velvet Underground. So what was happening was um, uh, while they were recording Loaded, They had a nine week engagement from June 24th to August 28th, 1970 uh, at Max's Kansas City playing two sets a night. Some of it is very inspired. Most of it is just workmanlike. Yeah, there's a time
1: and place kind of quality to it, you know, capturing them at at Max's that kind of the tail end of that big long residency they did. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of the end of the line and it's, it's cool. That I give it's this so, three and
0: a half stars. I give it the
1: same three and did a half. Did you really? I, I did. love you, man. It's cool that it's so that, that, you know, look, there's a lot of live VU out there. Yeah. It's pretty, they're pretty much exhausted to put out everything, but, um, this is kind of a This one
0: of, got its own characteristic. It's a well-done audience performance. Yeah,
1: yeah. And just the, the fact that it's at Max's, you can kind of like place yourself mentally in that space kind of what it was, must have been like for them to play there at that time. Um, you know, I I it's, it's it's weird. I I can kind of just kind of picture myself being at the show or something. Yeah, so something, you really feel like you're there. I think if and it was if it was the same exact record but it was called live at some venue I never heard of, I might it might not have that same mystical kind of quality right. to me.
0: Phase 3. Yule and Sussnick drive the car off the cliff, 1970 to 1973. Okay, okay. This period of the band is underdocumented and extremely interesting to me. Now it's bye bye Sterling. So after a show in Houston, uh, Sterling left the group. Uh, it, this is our August 1971 to pursue a PhD in medieval literature at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, he was the last founding member to quit. Morrison's replacement was singer keyboard player Willie Alexander. Now, that's an obscure period of the Velvet Underground. Yes, the Willie Willie Alexander era. Yes, it's true, uh, but I still would like to cover it. It's of great interest to me for whatever reason. This brief lineup of the band, they played several shows in the US and Canada in September 71. And in October and November that year, there were a bunch of shows in England, Wales, and, and the Netherlands. Uh, to support the European loaded. So because of live at Max's Kansas City, he started doing well. Interest in the band began to, you know, the flames began to be fanned a little bit. Steve Sesnick was able to get a one album deal with Polydor in the UK to do another album. So he reached out to Yule. Uh, a, a new Velvet Underground lineup was very quickly assembled uh, to do the UK shows. Uh, Sesnick actually went up not even showing up in London to meet the band with the right equipment and tour funds. So this horrible tour ended in December 72. Uh, Doug Yule breaks up the band, um, and then Squeeze is recorded. Now, Squeeze is a very strange album. So a lot of people uh, consider it a Velvet Underground album in name only, because really, it's Doug Yule only, with the addition of the Deep Purple drummer Ian Pace. I am
1: one of those people who considers it in name only.
0: And I am not. Because to me, you can't, if it has the name on it, Doug Yule is as much a, a member of Velvet Underground as John Cale. Turns out it's very easy to ignore it. So this is the fifth and final record.
2: Uh, Squeeze, to me, is, is awful. Um, it's, but, d- uh,
0: but do you want to tackle that era? I or? think he just did. No, no. Yeah. I, I, what I'm saying is that you are, are you super, see, see, here, super see, here?
2: Here's, here's the thing about squeeze. Like I've heard it, I've heard it, but do I recollect any of it? No, no, I do not. Like, I think it's a, a super mediocre record. Uh, it's obviously with just it pretty much being dug, it's even more far removed from anything. And, and that's sort of like the spiral, of the velvet underground <laughs> <laughs> right. As, as a band and as a practice, just like progressively getting more and more far removed <laughs> from like what what it originally was. And, um, you know, so so in a way, even though Squeeze, I totally dislike it. Uh, it's, it's almost perfect in that way, because I feel like. A lot of you people know, wild, don't know wild. about
0: this record at all. A lot of people don't consider it uh, canon whatsoever.
1: I don't find this, this. I don't find Squeeze or the Squeeze period to be really that interesting to me. It's a record that a guy made who was in in a band for a minute, and you know, it's it's it is what it sounds like. It was a contract contract filler, and a you know, let's slap the name on it. I give Squeeze one star.
2: I give it two stars. Uh, yeah, I I, I would. Give it a, a one star a half is what's the lowest? Zero. Zero. Okay, zero a half a star. I'll give it a half, half a star. That's, that's pretty that's fair. Generous.
0: That's pretty fair. Okay, so the Reed, Kale, Morrison, Tucker lineup, they officially reunited without Yule and started torn again. All the stuff got flouted. And uh, you know, what wound up happening is uh they were gonna potentially even do new studio recordings, but before any of it could come to fruition, Kaylin Reed fell out again, and the band broke up again. But the artifact that remains from that, uh, in June of '93, a concert was recorded that released that was released in October of that year, um, and that was uh, recorded during a three-night residence in Lo So this Paris. is
1: kind of interesting because it's such a professionally. It's, so they did the songs all very faithfully. It's the four right. of them, and there's um, two new songs. Velvet Nursery Rhyme and Coyote, um, worthy of mentioning, and they, they neither they, of which are good. Yeah, so they kind of re- recreate everything very faithfully off the records. Um, they all kind of play their parts all really well. The, their voices are a little bit more weathered. <clears throat> it has a strange kind of like professional yeah, thing yeah. to it. Like it sounds like they rehearsed it in like a nice <laughs> professional it, rehearsal look, this, space. This could have been worse. I, th- I you know, this could have been. Worse. I have to say. At the time, and in the subsequent years, I never really cared for this thing. I, I never to it a heard couple it. Of times
0: I only heard it for this troll. Yeah,
1: but I think it's pretty good for what it is. Actually, I agree. Um, they so, ca- they kinda- Velvet
0: Nursery Rhyme is kind of an intro to them as people, and then Coyote. Uh, you know, uh, there's the riff is from "I'm Set Free," and that's what it seems to be. Uh, they kind of craft a new tune. It's like a goodbye to the world as a functioning unit. Yeah, I don't think it's a great song, but for a band founded on the boundless nature of pure creativity. The fact that it's a new song is great. Yeah, it's awesome. They have a new song here. Uh, I give it N.A. I, I rated this. I gave this three and a half. To,
1: I would probably. To, I would probably stick to with reflect that, that I kind of liked it. Three and a, It's, it's three so and a half. different from the uh, you know the, the recordings in the '60s, like it maxes yeah, yeah. or but when they they play and they you know they play a song. It's like silence and like it's really quiet. Right, this, right. this is as soon as they launch into like any obscure song it's like the place goes crazy as soon as, yeah, as, soon yeah. as the audience recognizes what it
0: is so yeah, it's, it's like i'm sticking with you how does that get a thunderous yeah, round yeah, of so applause so it's
1: kind of interesting hearing in the context of like where they're you know they're really being kind of like feted as like you know these the, yeah they're, they're the love the outpouring of love totally. for these songs is um it's, it's great to hear it's it is but, great to you hear. know you know as a as a concept in retrospect, this kind of did end up as like a kind of happy ending kind of closure on the thing, even though it, did. <laughs> even though it only lasted a month. Even end, though there was a falling up. out. It's probably better yeah. if they didn't make an album.
0: They, they, totally,
1: totally. So This is better just as an artifact. It, that itself. was
0: 93. So on August 31st, 95, Sterling Morrison dies of non-Hodgkin lymphoma after coming back to Poughkeepsie, P- P- New York. Uh, he was 53 years old. So... Yeah. so when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 96, uh, Lou, uh, Mo, and John reformed the Velvet Underground for the last time. Doug was not inducted and did not in- attend. Uh, for the ceremony, uh, Patti Smith inducted them, and they performed Last Night, I Said Goodbye to My Friend, which they wrote to Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, on October 27, 2013, Lou Reed died at his home in Southampton, New York, 71 years old. For the hard liver that he was, 71, probably pretty good. John Cale responded to Reed's passing by saying, The world has lost a fine songwriter and poet. I've lost my schoolyard buddy. So here's the shape of their arc. Velvet Underground kicked off life with absolutely no precedent whatsoever and made things as difficult for themselves as was humanly possible, offering no through line to their fan base to help identify just what kind of music they were interested in making. This was not music curated by A&R guys behind the shadows. It was pure, contentiously constructed, and unidentifiable uh, music. Just music. Uh, Contrarian AF. Not interested in what you want of them, only interested in following its own muse, which of course led them straight off a cliff. But they were right to trust themselves. They were one of the first chapter or era bands that became a whole new concern that you just had to get to know them from the ground up each time that they released a volume of new music. If you love music, you love them. And if you don't give a shit about music, in all likelihood, you still love at least Sweet Jane and rock and roll. Yeah, you do. Because seriously, why wouldn't you? Top three albums. Number three, White Light, White Heat. Number two, The Velvet Underground, the third one. And number one, The Velvet Underground and Nico. Worst album? would be squeeze or if you don't think that counts then loaded gentlemen my top three are
1: number three loaded number two the velvet underground or the couch album and number one velvet underground and nico and my weakest album of theirs is white light white heat and because squeeze is not a velvet underground album <laughs> that's it <laughs> anthony what's yours mr Ruff. What's your ranking i
2: would say my top three is uh the self-titled then white light white heat and number two and then the uh debut at number one and uh yeah i think they're one of the most essential rock bands of all time and uh you know i i think i would just be adding to uh what's been said about all the ink that's already been spilled about them if i went on any further (laughs) that's right so squeeze would be your least favorite (laughs) yeah i'll i'll say i'll say squeeze i'll i'll count it It has it has their name on it i'll count okay no songs you like uh off of squeeze no not really no Tonight, as
0: you're getting ready for bed, if it, when you're brushing your teeth, if you're looking for something, to soundtrack, your experience. I'll put I, on Squeeze. No, no, not the whole record. Just the song Friends. Just give it a shot. Okay. Dave's really trying to make Friends happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> uh, hey, Luna did a cover of it. Okay. That's pretty cool.
1: Well, Anthony, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, man. I am. Um, thank, yeah. you, thank you so much for doing this, and um, we're super we, psyched. With we want episode. to shout out to Zach as
0: well, Zach, right. who couldn't well, be on. I think he's it.
1: maybe going to join us and do, uh, do yeah. his own He's going to
0: join you
2: guys in the future.
0: Yes, we're yeah. super psyched for that, too. We can't tell you what it is, but, man, is it going to be anagrammical. <laughs> 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 um, well, is there anything beyond uh, your incredible show, The Needle Drop, that you want to promote?
2: Uh, just, uh, the needle drop and Fantano on YouTube and, uh, you know, the needle drop on Twitch as well. If you're uh, into live streams.
1: Oh, cool. I didn't know cool. you did that. I got to check that out.
2: Yeah. 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 Every, every Friday we do a new music Friday stream where we just like play whatever's out just out.
1: Oh, nice. That's a, that's a good idea for a show. We should have thought of that well all
2: yeah. of
0: uh, all of anthony 's uh, shows topics everything uh, you know are are musty viewing uh, if you need to keep up with what, with what 's going on and of course you do because here you are so um, thank you so much for joining us on one of the most venerated amazing bands that ever was uh, you know join us uh, next week when it 'll invariably be an incredible episode uh no matter how great or awful the band is it'll be so entertaining so you want to definitely make sure you're following us subscribing uh you know <clears throat> follow us on youtube twitter facebook uh interact with us on all our groups
1: and um yeah but spread the word man tell your friends you know Please. everyone that's out there we're uh trying to do, trying to get some more people some ears on this thing. So. As
0: many as possible. We're interested uh, in world domination, just like Madonna circa 1981 or so. So, um, you know, we'll see you next time uh, on Discograffiti. In the meantime, stay cool and keep pouring liquid gold into those ear holes. See you next time. Bye-bye.